Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who can recite the it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty monologue from memory. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 1995's Clueless. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? And it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? People came that like did not RSVP. So I was like totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, squish in extra place settings, and like people were on mismatched chairs and all. But by the end of the day, it was like the more the merrier. And so if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. Wow. You guys talk like grown-ups. Oh, this is a really good school. Hi, Audrey. How are you today? Hi. Well, I feel I feel like you forgot, but you know how you were you were asking me if I was going to do a bang reveal. Oh my god! Right, I totally <laughs> forgot. Yeah, because I'm clearly. If you're watching the video, you can <laughs> see that I clearly do not look like I have bangs. <laughs> Wait, do a bang reveal. Why not? I'm not because I have. So just to tell the tale, I got bangs the other day. I don't know why. Like, in retrospect, that was a stupid idea. Oh, my God. You don't (laughs) like those? Why would I create a situation for myself where I now have to put any level of effort into my hair Um, when I've never, like, that's been like the number one great thing about my hair is that I don't have to do anything to it. So also I shower at night and I have to like figure out, basically I'm just, if I'm going to try to actually have the haircut, I have to figure (laughs) out how to to have have it. (laughs) Like, it's like. (laughs) I think, uh, okay. You did such a good job clipping them back that I literally forgot that you got them. Like when you (laughs) entered the chat, I was like, okay, everything's normal. Like I didn't even remember. So at least you're camouflaging them well. I'm sad though, because they look cool. They looked cool the day I got them cut because they do such a good job. But like, it's a totally different thing when you're not having somebody do it for you. Like they looked really nice that day. Um, So do they look bad? (laughs) No, I I personally am just not, I don't know if I vibe with them, but I don't know. Well, I'm going to figure out the regimen and I will, I will reveal them (laughs) at some point while I still have them. But my guess is they'll probably just grow out and be over. (laughs) Well, I'm happy that you took a risk because you have had the same hair situation your whole life. Yeah, so that's my tale. Wow. I personally am back on my bullshit of curling my hair again. And I should know this innately as a Leo, but when my hair looks good, I am in like 14 times better of a mood. Like I need to just make this a part of my daily, not daily, but like 
bi-weekly yeah. existence because like, look, it's just so much better. I just wanted to say to those listening, I've been rehearsing like every single day for my play because my play is finally happening and I'm directing it. Um, and I've been having a really good time. I've been in like a very good mood working on it, which I did not expect because it's like a shitload of work. Um, but it's been really fun. And if you live in the Cleveland area or the greater Cleveland area, or if you want to come on a road trip, um, March 10th, 11th, and 12th at Cleveland Public Theater. You can come see it. It's very gay and also really fits the brand of this show too. So if you like Sleepover Cinema, you'd probably like the play. It's called Bedroom Culture. Uh, maybe we'll put a link in the description, but I'm having a good time. Like I gave people theatrical blocking last night. Like I had to physically demonstrate blocking, which like who is she? It's so weird. I was going to say, well, after it happens, well, we're going, we plan on posting it on our YouTube channel. So you'll see it anyway. Yes. But yeah. Audrey is very generously volunteering her talents to do a multi-camera professional shoot of the second <laughs> show, which I'm grateful for. So you'll all get to see it if you can't come to Ohio, um, which... Maybe that's the best, but in your best interest to not come to Ohio, to be honest. So Audrey, what's this hot take of the week that we have here? So the hot take of the week is from Maddie Grow. I think it's either, I don't know if it's Grow or Grow. I don't know. Let us know mm -hmm. how you say it. But um, it was a really good question. It's what is the ideal group chat with four other 2000s characters and or celebrities? Yes, this is such a good question. Um, okay, so Audrey sent this question to me in advance so I could kind of like premeditate an answer, but you did not premeditate an answer. <laughs> no, I was <laughs> like, I'll like. probably come up with something in the moment, but. <laughs> They're all characters because I, I couldn't help it. My early 2000s group chat, early 2000s, late 90s group chat that I would like to be in includes the following four characters. First of all, Ryan from High School Musical. Second of all, <laughs> Lily from The Princess Diaries. Oh. Third, third of all, Christian from Clueless. Oh, shit. And fourth of all, the guy in Legally Blonde who walks out after Bend and Snap <laughs> and says, Bend and Snap works every time. Oh, Frank. That's so And that good. is my lineup. <laughs> Wait, I had two as my runner-ups. My runner-ups were Angel from Rent and Miss Clavel from Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if Miss Clavel would be very like down in the no, chat. No, she would be. Um, she would be like the straight man, like literally and yeah. figuratively. You know, I want to be in that group chat. So okay. like that would, that's also my answer, but, okay. um, as far as like real people, I feel like Brittany Murphy, mm -hmm. Anne Hathaway and Brandy. Brittany Murphy, RIP. We'll be talking about her today. I'm sure. Maddie, that was a great question for our hot take of the week. Thank you so much for your creative energy. And now it is time to get into the facts. Is it not? So clueless, this is like a big one that we kind of held out on, I feel like, because for the same reason we held out on Mean Girls and like, right. you kind of got to spread them out because otherwise it's like too much too fast. Yeah. So 
yeah, so I felt like it was time for Clueless. And just to hop right on into the info, Mm -hmm. Clueless was released on July 19th, 1995, which is extremely close to the day Hannah was born. Yes, that's seven days. A week. A week before. Yeah. 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 A week before Hannah existed, this movie Mm -hmm. came out and actually... I'll have to find it, but there is like um, a home video of our mom in the hospital, like I think right post having Hannah and she's holding like a newspaper and on the back of the newspaper, there's an article about Clueless, which is great. Just as the universe would want it. Like, yeah, it makes so much sense to me that my birth would be shepherded in by this movie <laughs> for so many yeah. reasons. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, it was rated PG-13. Very. I'm glad that the, the 13-year-olds of the world got to see this. That's Agreed. great. It was directed by Amy Heckerling, who studied at Tisch. She's kind of like... To me, I like I knew that way back, like maybe even before I went to NYU, because like that's a great person to aspire to. And she's kind right. of, I feel one of the lesser acknowledged successful directors from Tish. Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons, like feminine high school content. She's not a Spike Lee of the world, but like equally yeah. as precious in another way. Um yeah. So she has directed Clueless, the movie, and the TV show, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Look Who's Talking, Red Oaks, and then she's done some other TV work, like episodes of The Original Gossip Girl and The Carrie Diaries, which I loved The Carrie Diaries. Like, <laughs> I know, I was thinking the same thing. Wait, I have a question about that, though. When you watched that, didn't A, didn't you watch it in high school? And B, had you seen Sex in the City before you watched The Carrie Diaries? <laughs> I watched it. Yeah, I watched it in high school. And no, I hadn't <laughs> watched all of Sex in the City yet, but they really are not related. Like, they're really not. Um, I knew that it was a spin, uh, like, a prequel spinoff, but, like, it's not relevant. Um, It's a fun show, though. And every time, Mm -hmm. like, Anna Sophia Robb went to NYU, and she was there at the same time as us. And, like, whenever I would see her around, like, my heart was just, like, like, that was, the Carrie Diaries was (laughs) the thing that just, like, made me be... A, like an actual fan of her rather than just like yeah. a casual childhood <laughs> fan. You mean Charlie and the Chocolate Factory didn't push you into mania <laughs> over Anna <laughs> Sophia Robb. <laughs> or like Bridge to Terabithia. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, I wanted to get into some like background information on the development of this movie. And mm-hmm. I have like this quote here about it. So this is a quote um, from Amy Heckerling. She said, I went to 20th Century Fox and they said, we want you to do something about teenagers. And I thought, I'm so tired of doing stuff about teenagers. But they said, we want you to do something about the in crowd. I thought, I'll do it if I can make fun of them. So we developed this script. It was a pilot for a TV show. And it was about this girl that was completely happy no matter what happened. And I was really getting into that kind of character. But nothing happened with it. They passed on it. They didn't get it. 
it. And a number of things were sort of falling through. I was just getting very frustrated. So I switched agents. And when I had my new agent, they said, what have you been working on? So I showed Ken Stovitz, one of the agents there, this pilot. And he said, this is too good for TV. You should make this into a feature. And then, so that's exactly what happened. And then also something she did during the like adaptation and creation of the screenplay is she would go to Beverly Hills High School and like sit in on classes just to get a feel for the culture. (laughs) Imagine finessing that kind of access. Like how do you even pull that off? I guess it's Beverly Hills though. So maybe that's more of like a normal-ish thing there. And then Clueless was produced by Robert Lawrence. He hasn't done anything particularly notable to our audience other than Clueless, just being honest. And then (laughs) Scott Rudin, boo, also produced this. Um, He has produced No Country for Old Men, The Social Network, Lady Bird, Moonrise Kingdom. What pisses me off so much, too, about Scott Rudin is that he has really good taste. (laughs) Yeah. No, I thought the same thing. By the content and the people that he chooses to work with, he reminds me of like Judd Apatow, but they literally could not be more different. Right, 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 right. I actually have a question. I feel like we may have talked about this before on a different episode, but when you were at NYU, did you like know a lot of people that like interned for him? Yeah, lots. And, And that it was like really easy to get an internship there because you would just get like destroyed in five seconds? I don't know if it was like easy per se, but he definitely like easy to get. But there was like a higher turnaround rate for sure because people were just like either got like fired from it essentially. Turnover rate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, People either got like fired from it or they left, but there was so much like fear in leaving like letting him down sort of thing because he was insane like think Miranda Priestly levels of of ridiculousness like that that is what it actually was and then the associate producer I had to I had to put this in one of the there's more than just these three but Twink Kaplan is one of the associate producers on this movie and I worship her like I don't know that much about her but she's the best ever. Um, And you can tell she's definitely a common collaborator with Amy Heckerling um, because they have a lot in common on their IMDb. I wanted to shout out Mona May, who was the costume designer, because the costumes kind of are the movie in some ways. You know, like the the image of this movie is extremely powerful. Um, And she also did costumes for Enchanted, Never Been Kissed, Xenon Z3, The Haunted Mansion, Stuart Little, The House Bunny, and Cheetah Girls One World. Those are just the things that fall into our category. But she's done a a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think we'll do Stuart Little someday? I I really would not want to. I have like dusty memories of watching that at like uh, one of our parents' friends' houses that we went to like one time in 2004 or something. This movie was both written and directed by Amy. Um, As a writer, she has done The Muppets, Vamps, and I Could Never Be Your Woman. I don't, I haven't like seen a lot of her other work. Um, 
as far as movies go, but I feel like I should. Like um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, like that was the thing that got her attention, like got her like legitimate attention. As loose as it may be, the story of Clueless (laughs) is based on Emma by Jane Austen. Mm -hmm. And I have this quote from Amy about that situation as she was writing the screenplay. She said, I started to think, what's the larger context for that kind of a nothing can go wrong, always looks through rose-colored glasses kind of girl? And I remembered Emma, which I'd read in college. So I took it out and reread it. And I said, unconsciously, I've been writing an Emma-like character because I've always loved it. And part of it had sort of stored it away in my brain. So I really related to her and got into it. And the plot was so brilliantly laid out in Emma. So I tried to take all the things that were in this sort of pretty 1800 world and see what that would be like if it was in Beverly Hills. And then Hannah, do you want to read this quote about the slang? So she says this, I compiled a dictionary. The thing is, every time you have to say, oh my God, I love that, or it's amazing, or it's wonderful, that adjective tells you what social strata you are in, what year you were born, and where you live. That goes on constantly. It has evolved and changed because a lot of stuff is texted and because of television. There is a flattening out. It is less local. Still, it exists in any group of outcasts, whether Cockneys, in prison, or a girls' school. They always have their own separate stuff. If you have a few friends, you develop phrases and words, even between me and my editor, because we both know my movies and we know the dialogue so well. Yeah, because when I was re-watching it, I was like starting to really question if Amy Heckerling was making up slang or if yeah. this existed. And turns out she did make up like a lot of it. Uh-huh. Um, like it wasn't pre-existing. Yeah. Okay, so the synopsis for this movie. Shallow, rich, and socially successful Cher is at the top of her Beverly Hills high school's pecking scale. Seeing herself as a matchmaker, Cher first coaxes two teachers into dating each other. Emboldened by her success, she decides to give hopelessly klutzy new student Ty a makeover. When Ty becomes more popular than she is, Cher realizes that her disapproving ex-stepbrother was right about how misguided she was and falls for him. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I want to say is hopelessly klutzy is the laziest description of a young female character that exists. I hate that. And the whole ex-stepbrother thing, we're going to get into it, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. Taglines? Taglines. There's two taglines. They're kind of just variations of the same thing. But the first one is sex, clothes, popularity. Is there a problem here? (laughs) And the second one is sex, clothes, popularity, whatever. (laughs) But... The first one's better. Like, cause yeah, I, I feel like what, whatever is, a, it's like not, not totally consistent with the movie. Like she's, she cares. Not a, a whatever type of person. So as far as the cast goes, I was like getting into it, like the story of the casting. Mm-hmm. And there was a ton of really successful and famous women and men who were supposed to play these roles or audition for them. Um, For example, Sarah Michelle Gellar 
was supposed to be Cher, actually, but then she ended up having scheduling conflicts. Um, mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie, Reese Witherspoon, Carrie Russell, and Gwyneth Paltrow also auditioned. Um, for Josh, it could have been Ben Affleck or Zach Braff. And then also, I love this, Alana Ubach, or however you say it, for Ty, um, who is, if you're watching Euphoria now, that is Cassie and Lexi's mother on Euphoria. Mm -hmm. And that is the cheerleading BFF of Elle Woods in Legally Blonde. Yeah, I just Googled who she was before we got to this because I was like, who is that? Um, But yeah, totally would have been great. Okay, so those were some of the uh, potential cast members, but this is who we actually ended up with. So we have Alicia Silverstone as Cher. And this movie is definitely her defining role, at least that's how it seems to me. Um, But she's best known for Clueless, Batman and Robin, Blast from the Past, and Excess Baggage. I have not seen any of those other ones. I know Batman and Robin is like a big, like, basically camp classic. Joel Schumacher at large. (laughs) Next, we have Paul Rudd as Josh. Um best known for being Ant-Man, I Love You Man, and Perks of Being a Wallflower. And he's like the teacher in Perks of Being a Wallflower. He's like, it almost feels like he's a cameo role in that movie to a certain extent. I know that Perks of Being a Wallflower is pushing the boundaries of sleepover cinema, but I really hope we do that one day because to me, it falls into the same vein as like 500 Days of Summer and just... As like a Zoe Deschanel impacted teen, I just like really want to <laughs> do that movie. Next up, we have the beloved Brittany Murphy as Ty. Um, she was best known for being in Just Married, Clueless, Eight Mile, Girl Interrupted, and Uptown Girls. One of our most emotional episodes probably of this show. Um, and so Brittany Murphy came to a like very jarring early end. Like she died kind of unexpectedly back in like, I think it was like 2007 or so. Um, But if you want to know more about her career and just like the arc of her life, um, our friend Yara, who's guested on the show multiple times, has a really, really good video essay about her, which we will link to in the description. Um, It's like a very lovingly done video about Brittany Murphy. So if you want to learn more, you can go there. We have Stacy Dash as Dion next. Um, and she's known for Clueless, Renaissance Man, View from the Top, and Moving. But also, I'm pretty sure in recent years, she's like come out as like a conservative pundit in like the style yeah. of um, like Tommy Lauren or something like that. So that's upsetting. But she is like slaying 12 out of 10 in this movie. So we have to just like respect that. Yeah, we Um, do. (laughs) Yeah. Next up we have um, Donald Faison. He's from Scrubs. He's the guy from Scrubs. Um, He's also in Clueless, obviously, Skyline and Remember the Titans. And now after that, we have Elisa Donovan, Alyssa Donovan as Amber, other than Clueless, best known for A Night at the Roxbury and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Kind of the thing about all these people is that Clueless is such an iconic movie that basically all of them are known for Clueless to a certain extent. So I'm just going to stop listing Clueless because yeah. it's in everyone's list. Next up, we have Brecken Meyer as Travis, a absolute king. I love him. And he is best known for Rat Race, Road Trip, and Kate and Leopold. Next up, we have Jeremy Sisto as Elton. 
best known for Wrong Turn, May, and Waitress. And then we have Dan Hedaya as Cher's dad, Mr. Horowitz. He's best known for The Usual Suspects, Blood Simple, and Mulholland Drive. Lol. That's real. That's real films. Real yes. films. Yes. Real ass films. <laughs> um, if you want to be really scared, go to YouTube and look up Monster from Mulholland Don't. Drive. <laughs> I saw Mulholland Drive in class in college. Like Did I you not watched know that. It was coming. No. Did it, it ruin it, your it, life? Yeah, because that was before I got like super um, desensitized. Like I'm pretty desensitized to horror movies now. Like I can pretty much watch anything because of Hunter. Like it's just how it is. But um, at the time I was not at all. Like I would, I had my eyes shut during all of The Conjuring when I was forced to (laughs) watch it. Yes. Like I just looked, I would rather have looked at my feet for an hour and a half than watched a movie. (laughs) And next up, okay, we have the return of Twink Kaplan, the collaborator of Amy Heckerling. She plays Miss Geist in this movie. Um, Great role. And other than that, she's also known for Feud, Bet and Joan, and Look Who's Talking. We have one of my favorite men, Wallace Shawn as Mr. Hall, Wally Shawn, best known for The Princess Bride, Toy Story, and The Incredibles. He's the inconceivable guy from Princess Bride. Okay, you skipped over the most important one, oh, fuck, Cyrus so Rose in Gossip Girl. Yes, he's Cyrus Rose in Gossip Girl. I don't know why I skipped over that. Um, Yeah, you know him from that, I'm sure. And also an interesting fact about him is that in addition to being an actor, um, he's also like a pretty accomplished playwright. And when I, NYU is coming up a lot in this episode, but when I was at NYU, my professors would always be like referencing him as like a good playwright, but also like a good mentor and friend. (laughs) Which like totally tracks in my mind. Um, So shout out to Wally Sean. If I ever got to speak to him, I would be over the moon happy. And then last but not least, we have Justin Walker as Christian. Obviously has a very iconic role in this movie, but he's also best known for Takeout and The Last Resort. But he stopped acting in 2010, which is interesting. I'm drinking Diet Coke to those who are not watching the video version. I'm having a nice Diet Coke right now. That's very consistent with this movie because they do be drinking Diet Coke. They do. Also, the product placements are really intense in this movie. Yeah, but I don't mind them. They work. Me neither. They really work. Because they don't try to make them subtle. So it's kind of cute. Okay, so the budget for Clueless was $12 million. Um... It's like a really nice budget for a movie like Clueless. Box office opening weekend, it made $10,612,443 in 1,653 theaters and was distributed by Paramount Pictures. So that's great. Worldwide, it made 57956568 And what we've kind of gleaned from this is that the movie didn't really go very international, like theatrically, mm-hmm. mostly in the U.S. and then just a few things here and there. That's yeah. what I can, what we can tell from the numbers. And then we've got our critic score and our audience score. So Hannah, do you want to do critic? Okay, so critic score, we got an 81%, which is honestly extremely respectful for a movie of this genre. Um, and the critic consensus is as follows. 
A funny and clever reshaping of Emma, Clueless offers a soft satire that pokes as much fun at teen films as it does at the Beverly Hills Glitterati. Um, Glitterati, top tier word. It was in my Tumblr URL back in the day. Yeah. Um, And it's not really, I think it's funny that they like are making it that much about Emma and the critic consensus, but that makes sense for a critic consensus. And as always, we had to check in with Mr. Roger Ebert and he gave this movie a 3.5 out of four. And this is what he had to say. The movie is aimed at teenagers, but like all good comedies, it will appeal to anyone who has a sense of humor and an ear for the ironic. Heckerling walks a fine line between satire and put on, but she finds it and her dialogue could be anthologized you have to like a movie with lines such as searching for high grades in high school is like searching for meaning in a Polly Shore movie wait or that's not this even ex- the line I know that's wrong is, is it searching <laughs> for love in high school or something it's searching for a, a boy right that's what I thought and then he says <laughs> or this excuse in PE class my plastic surgeon doesn't want me doing any activity where balls fly at my nose The answer to that, which cannot be printed here, may be worth at least a third the price of admission all by itself. Uh, I find that to be a weird sentence coming from him. (laughs) So the audience score is actually lower than the critic score. Not by that much, but it's 76%. um, So like a 5% drop. And I found most, I found really all of the audience opinions to be like condensed into one thing. Like, if, if it was a good comment, it would be something like this. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest comedies of all time. Clever dialogue, likable characters set against an immersive yet cartoonish version of being a teen in 90s Beverly Hills. There's just so much to love. Awesome cast too, with especially memorable work from the great Brittany Murphy, Meyer, Alicia Silverstone, and Paul Rudd. And then the bad, um, which there was kind of a lot of like, mean audience comments. They said a pretty mediocre comedy about the life of a spoiled rich girl in Beverly Hills. Clueless has a few inspired moments and good jokes, but for the most part, it's just a typical teen comedy without anything to set it apart from its peers in the genre. You're dumb. Literally hateful. Gossip section time. So this is not precisely gossip, but it is just, um, context for 1995 culturally. So um, popular movies. We had Toy Story, Friday, Before Sunrise, Sense and Sensibility, Ace Ventura, It Takes Two, Jumanji, Now and Then, A Little Princess, which we definitely have to watch at some point, and Casper. And then as far as like things that happened in 1995 or like cultural things, um, Braveheart won Best Picture. Brad Pitt was People's Sexiest Man Alive. Match.com came out. ER, Seinfeld, and Friends were the most popular shows. Selena passed away that year. Um, TLC's Waterfalls won Video of the Year. The Macarena went viral. Windows 95 was in every household. And eBay also debuted that year. When did we first watch this movie and what do we remember about it? I, I remember that when we watched it. We probably, I don't know, unless, unless you remember something else, I feel like we watched it together for the first time. 
But um, I remember feeling like nobody else on the planet had seen that movie. I feel like mom might have even been like, this movie was sort of the foreshadowing to like Mean Girls and Legally Blonde to a certain extent. Um, Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that the first time you saw it was with me, but I'm pretty sure that the first time I saw it was with Allie Miller, who was my high school Mm -hmm. best friend. And she had an older, she had two older siblings. So her taste kind of skewed on the older side. The thing that I love about this movie and that like I'm sure we'll talk about more is that it's like a very intellectualized interpretation of like the high school girl experience. Like they speak in really specific ways and it's not like it's like lazy word choice or like lazy slang. It's all like very articulate, very specific. I felt like represented by that in some ways back in high school. Like, you know, whether or not that was actually accurate of how I was, just that struck a chord with me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember I wrote down, I remember feeling like I had taste for loving this movie in in high school. I was like, this is some rarefied shit. Yeah. Also, I have one other really cursed memory. Well, no, there are other memories aren't cursed, but this one is cursed, which is in college, I took this class called Musical Theater Writing Workshop. And like one of our final projects was that you had to like come up with an idea for a musical, either original or developed off some pre-existing piece of IP. And so I picked Clueless um, and I wrote two songs for it. And one of them was like, you know, the part where after Christian leaves and she's like, what did I do? Like, what did I do wrong? I did a song for that. And then I did like a really painful, like party song for like when they go to the party in the Valley. Um, It's very embarrassing to remember about them. They weren't even that bad, honestly, but just the concept of doing that is like so corny that it makes me want to puke. It's just funny too, because there is a Clueless musical now. So you should like listen to it and see. And compare notes. What the difference is. Dove Cameron played Cher. What? Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I'm definitely looking that up when we're done and comparing notes for sure. Yeah. The existence of a Clueless musical just reminds me of the fact that there's a Heathers musical, um, which... I can't wait for us to do Heathers one day because we're going to have to do a whole subsection. We did do Heathers. Oh, we did do Heathers. Fuck. With, um, with, but it was with Yara. Yeah. So, okay. We just have to find a moment for us to talk about the Heathers musical at one point. If you haven't seen Clueless, I don't understand how you're even listening to this, um, <laughs> but it's available on HBO Max and you must go watch it now before you proceed. Get into it. Get into it, please. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? 
in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. And it is time to go through our thoughts on Clueless 1995's most important cultural export to us. Can I just start us off with all the lines that I wrote down? Yes. Okay, first of all, speaking of vehicular sex. (laughs) Yes. That was a good one. Riding the crimson wave I had to haul ass to the ladies. So good. That's a good one. Pretty random fiesta. (laughs) Also perfect. Um, Two more. Two enthusiastic thumbs up. Fine holiday fun. (laughs) Also really good. And then finally, I don't even know if this is what he's saying, but it's a Christian line. It's like, maybe you had an in on the heavy clam bakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Also speaking of Christian, when Cher's dad is like, What's with you, kid? You think the death of Sammy Davis left an opening in the Rat Pack? (laughs) So So good. Just so good. (laughs) (laughs) And just like in general, Christian is an underratedly iconic gay. Like we don't talk about him enough. We really don't. We really don't. I think the beginning, um, the whole voiceover and the montage, it's like an excellent and economic mm-hmm. tone setter for wrote, the movie. I wrote down, who could ask for a better opening? Just like the touchstones of technology at that time are really interesting to see now, like pagers. Mm-hmm. And these little cell phones were like... Like there's a scene where Cher is at the table with Josh and her dad and everybody has their little phone sitting on the table. But when it rings, everybody picks it up because it could be like anybody's phone. Um, I just it's like the early version of what we do now, which is like, sadly, a lot of people do have their phones, you know, at the table. The presence of Diet Coke with a straw. A sleigh. Is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a Hannah Montana closet, but before Hannah Montana. And a Bratz closet. <laughs> um, okay, this isn't necessarily a appreciate, but does Elton's voice remind you of Adam Driver? Yes. Because like I was listening to him and I was like this, why do I get Adam Driver from him? Like he doesn't look like him at all, but they sound the same. They sound the same. And also the way that he's just like not having any of it is very Adam Driver. Yeah, yeah, it's super Adam and girls vibes, yeah. kind of. And then when Brittany Murphy sings Rollin' with the Homies, it's so good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> like she says one line and it sounds amazing. All right, Sherry, can you do this? Rolling with the homies. Rolling with the homies. Yeah, let's do it. You ready? <laughs> Which actually, I, on Brittany Murphy singing, one of the things under Better Than I Remembered is that extremely weird scene where she's just sitting on the couch that's too big for her singing along with the Mentos commercial. <laughs> yeah. like, Mentos better, Mentos like, fresher. Fresh goes better with Mentos fresh and full of life. And she's like... <laughs> Mentos, Mentos, the fresh maker. <laughs> I just love that they like walk in on her doing that and then like don't even comment on the fact that she was doing yeah. it. I'm like, did she improvise that? Like, I'm curious what was going on there. And also when she hold, when she's, when they're leaving the party after that girl is like pretty random fiesta. Do you need a ride home? Yeah. Um, Ty gets into the car with her and she's holding like a glowing snowman. And it's like plugged in. <laughs> It's so funny. Yeah. The screenplay and the soundtrack are like untouchable. Just perfect. The movie, I guess the style of the screenplay is untouchable to me. This movie is just the blueprint in so many ways. Like this is like one of the movies that created sleepover cinema. Yeah. For sure. And like that cannot be emphasized enough because I feel like maybe we didn't we didn't say it clearly enough in the first half, but like I've seen this movie so many times. Yeah, me too. Like probably upwards of like 30. And we didn't even own it. We did eventually. Oh, we had a VHS from a thrift store, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I love the line. The columns date all the way back to 1972, talking about her house. Perfect. (laughs) Um, Travis Birkenstock as a character and as that actor's performance is like one of my favorite characters ever. Um, Mm -hmm. I love it when they go to the party and Murray gets his head shaved and he's like trying to justify why he's doing it. And then the friend is just like, it's the bomb, like trying to explain it. (laughs) So funny. On the topic of Travis, though, I was watching this behind the scenes thing and he was talking about how a, a guy actually came up to him after having seen the movie like back in 95 and was like, Travis inspired me to go to rehab. Oh my God. He was, he was like, he was like, if Travis can do it, then I can do it. Oh my God. And, and the guy um, that who played him, I forget his name. He was like, you know, that is not something I ever would have expected to come out of this movie. But like, yeah. I'm so glad that I could take, I could inspire someone. Like, yeah, totally. That's very sweet. Well, I have a question really fast. And then I have three little points that I just want to talk about. One of my questions is the the car lighting, the driving around lighting is like so beautiful and such like a important part of this movie. And I'm just wondering, do you think they were actually driving? Like, how do they do that? For a lot of it? No. Um, and you can tell they're not actually driving because her hands are at the top of the wheel like this and she's legit not looking at the road at yeah. like almost at all. Yeah. So I think there's like a combination of true shots like outside and then green screen. There's definitely that that hair light, that like golden yeah. hair light that you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's not it looks real. so natural though. So the last few things I wanted to say under better, or at least they hit different for me this time around, um, is that, first of all, Cher, for the most part, is like actually pretty truly selfless. 
Like the part when she's leaving the party and she's in the car with Elton and she's like still trying to convince him to like Ty. Yeah. I was just like, damn, yeah. like she's truly a ride or die. And like for what? Yeah. Like, like Ty doesn't do anything to make Cher's life better other than just like let just like do whatever she says, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Give her a sense of control in a world of chaos. Um, yeah. So there's that. I just appreciate that about Cher. The Christian gay reveal. <laughs> it just, I just get it on such a deep level based yeah, off my past experiences. And you too, right. Like the fact that the line that really <laughs> got me is when they're like at the party and he's like, they're charging for Brewski. <laughs> I was like, this is a gay man. How does she not see it? Um, That part just like had me lulling. And then also just when they're watching the movie and he's like all up in it. Yeah, just like (laughs) that scene is so perfectly done. And like I empathize so much with Cher, like trying to be sexy and like trying to make this really tasteful too. Like it's really tastefully done. Yeah. And it's it's not embarrassing. Like it's not condescending towards anyone. No, it's so great. Um, and I feel like, especially because I've been like so deep in this play over the fat over the past few weeks, and it is about high schoolers and a lot of dynamics like that. I just was like, wow, this is like probably unconsciously informed a lot of what I'm doing and that I just appreciate it because it's really well done. Yeah. I, I love how Christian is like this, like, you know, 1940s vintage inspired James Dean. Yes. Like gay. It's great. Okay. Worse. When near the beginning, when Josh says, oh, wow, you're filling out like about Cher's um, like body. Yeah. uh, That's just a weird comment to make. (laughs) I wrote down Josh relationship is sus from the beginning. Yeah, it's already sus, even when they're these, like, you know, quasi-siblings or something. Yeah. But they they try to make it clear from the beginning, you are not my brother. Right. (laughs) It's like, okay, thanks for telling us that outright. Yeah. I have always felt kind of weird about Amber as a character. Uh Uh-huh. I wrote this down too, but go ahead. Because... We've got the, like, this is just a very strange thing going on because technically speaking, like the Regina George, the, the, the mean girl, like the most popular girl, the head of the school is also our protagonist. And Mm -hmm. she is also not actually mean. She maybe would be perceived as like spoiled and like a little naive, but she's not like evil. (laughs) So, um, that's why Amber's in there to serve as some kind of like weird foil to share, but we just don't need her. Agreed. Like I find her to be completely unnecessary Agreed. and her looks are super weird. Like, why is it like Dr. Seuss vibes? Um, <laughs> it, like, yes. it like clashes with everybody else a little bit. Um, she has iconic lines like the whatever and like, um, when they see each other at the party, like she's wearing a dress that Cher wore the day before. It just doesn't really hit because there's no um, like foundation for that yeah. relationship. And I also find that 
in this whole friend group because we're really kind of looking at like an entire friend group. Elton, Murray, um, Amber, Ty, Dion, Cher. And then the girl who goes kind of unnamed, um, she's in Bring It On as well, which I realized, um, like the Asian girl yeah. who says pretty random fiesta. Yeah. I don't know her story. Like she's the one person like in the friend group that name. we- yeah. We don't know anything about. So, and the friend group just seems a little loose. Just realizing that Cher is supposed to be 15. Yeah, that had me shook too. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, I was watching it with Josh and he was like, I like, we, we started halfway through um, and I was like catching him up on the context or he started halfway through and I was like, okay, she's 15, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I thought she was a full grown woman. <laughs> Like with everything I've yeah. seen so far. Yeah. Not not 15 year old seeming. Also, just really quick side note. I feel like people like to write teenagers because they're like totally unencumbered of like the brutal realities of adulthood. Less about the, it's less about them being young and more about them being able to be like fully obsessed with their own interpersonal drama and stuff. Yeah. I think that that's why we have this happen so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Like there's so... Yeah, it's like they don't have to like pay bills, so no. they can be more higher emotional, um, like threshold. Characters. Like they have all this energy. Yeah, yeah totally. And yeah, they they are not bogged down by adult responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. it definitely had me kind of like missing the freedom of being a teen. Totally. And also the other thing about it too is that like high school movies are so fun because the whole like concept of them is that it's like, you know, how in the beginning of movies or stories, it's like the status quo, there must be a change in the status quo for it to move forward. And it's like, there's nothing more status quo than going to high school five days a week. <laughs> like yeah. it just sets up such an easy like system Structure. to throw off. This is clearly going to go into the problematic column, but just like Cher's hard use of the R word randomly was really oh, jarring. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, what the fuck? Just a couple <laughs> questions for this movie. What does Ty mean when she says, guys, I've never had straight friends before? <laughs> I'm curious. Um, I wrote that also. <laughs> yeah, it's like question mark, um, which I know that's how they react to, but I'm like- I, I think what she means is like, sort of like, I've never had straight up friends before. Yeah, right. Like. But I was just like, what? Um, okay, <laughs> that was part of it. Um, I really don't. Okay, this is just like a thing. You ever like see something in a movie that like makes you cringe inexplicably, but like you can't explain why? The the stupid table choreography at the party when they're like oh putting, putting all their weight back and then like thrusting forward with their feet i, I was kind of wondering i've always wondered like if that is something we're not aware of in the 90s like is there right. some sort of thing with that that, that like we a, just like don't a, like a trending <laughs> dance like i don't know like, like <laughs> what is that i don't know but it I hate it. Every time I see it, I'm like, I hate it. I, I know that we're just supposed to buy it that El that like Cher doesn't realize that Elton's coming on to her the whole time. But I'm just kind of like, damn, yeah. he, he's literally like trying to kiss your neck in in debate class. Like get get a clue, yeah. if you will. Um, <laughs> she's clueless. She's clueless. Well, also, that is kind of just like Cher and her relationship to 
like crushes and sexuality in general is kind of interesting to me. Yes. Because normally what we see with like an alpha female, like the most popular girl or whatever, is that she's super like dominant in like it tells boys like it's just like in control basically. Yeah. But she's not. She's not at all. Well, all, and it's also like she'll use the attention or adoration of men as like a power play, like a tool. It's yeah. like very like Katie tell him his hair looks sexy pushed back. Um, right. But that doesn't happen in this movie at all. I think that one of the great strengths of the movie could also be kind of, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Like the world of Clueless is very much a heightened utopia, like Mm -hmm. a utopian version of what like suburban high school could be or like is for some people. But as far as like having um, just this sort, this friend group where everyone isn't a white person and like there's just no, like race does not factor into these people's lives. Yeah, It's just... They just are who they are, and it's very utopian. It feels very, like, mm-hmm. separated from reality yeah. in a lot of ways. And I think that that is kind of amazing and, like, great to see. Kind of like how what we talk about with, like, Cinderella or, like, the 90s Cinderella, yeah. that sort of thing. But then because it's portraying a high, like, a realistic high school or, like, it is in that concrete setting of high school. Like, so a couple things pop into my mind with that. I think first of all, like we don't know what the actual demographics are at a school like that because it's like the really rich girls, I feel like would be going to a private school, not a public school in the first place. I know. Yeah. Cause it's not a, it's not a private school. I always thought that was. It's that always just felt a little bit like we don't know, but, but my main point is like, we don't really know what the demographics are in Beverly Hills. I mean, I even heard Amy Heckerling kind of refer to that in an interview like it's you know basically she chalked it up to like well you know it would be great if it was like that and so and she she was kind of talking about how um people like watching fun movies and that that gets so underestimated in our culture as Uh far as like what is deemed a good movie or like a critically important movie. Mm -hmm. So often if it's fun um, and it's like, uh, like, you know, just lighthearted, it's just somehow not as valuable. Yeah. She was talking about that. And then that's how, that's how I even started thinking about this whole Mm -hmm. topic. Well, something else just kind of popped into my mind too, which is, It kind of feels like late 90s, early 2000s. It seems like there used to be a lot more stuff for kids and young adults that was like way more integrated or like diverse if you think about it. Like even if you think about Disney Channel, there were like a ton of people of color Mm -hmm. and um, like Cinderella, like uh, even Annie to a certain extent, even though Annie was whiter, like... You know, it kind of felt like it was more of a thing. And like Star Trek The Next Generation is another good example. Um, And I kind of am just curious or like wondering like what happened around like 2006, 2007 for it to like flip back to being so white. Because I do feel Mm -hmm. like that totally happened. And you can even see it in like the sleepover cinema canon a little bit. Um, I don't know why that happened. I would love to listen to a video essay on it if it exists. Um, Yeah. This 
season of sleepover I noticed has been so white. Like this season, I think every movie. And like, as we go through this genre, it's getting harder and harder to like Mm -hmm. find non-white people in these movies. And it's because it it feels as though it was a really specific time period within this genre that we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. As far as Disney goes, I think it's a strange combination of talent that they had been incubating for a few years. Uh Like Selena Gomez, Miley Cyrus, Demi Lovato, blah, blah, blah. Like Jonas Um, Brothers. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then also, I mean, I don't know. It's some sort of like inexplicable thing because we don't know like the inside info. Well, do you think it had to do with Barack Obama being elected? What, like, they they felt like they didn't have to do that anymore? Like, like they didn't have to represent Black people anymore because we, like, elected I mean, I feel a like a lot man. of America was, like, racism's gone now because yeah. we have a Black president. So maybe on an unconscious level, yes. I don't think they were like, I think Barack Obama's president, let's get rid of all the Black stars on Disney Channel. But, yeah. like, something, something shifted, clearly. I definitely feel like there's a part of our, um, like, the zeitgeist in America now where that maybe didn't exist in the 90s where they used to just, they weren't thinking about um, Mm -hmm. representation and identity politics so specifically. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, this is a black family, like the proud family or like, um, that's so Raven. It's just like, this is a black family. We're not going to like, we're not going to be so self-conscious about like the identity Mm -hmm. politics of the whole thing. Yeah. And now it feels like if they do anything, you know, that it's like a statement or like they have to overthink it or something. Yeah. Well, and I think that's such a good, that's a really, really good point. And it brings up two things for me. The first thing is if most of your writers are white, they're not going to feel comfortable writing outside of their experience because that is like, one, like of the, one of the few things probably that white people have like collectively taken from this. Yeah. And like, is that to make room for black creators to tell their own stories? Absolutely. But I think it could maybe be a fine line in this situation. Like if white people are in charge, they're going to write white people. Yeah. And it's also like, that is so true because they like white people will be like, I'm not going to write to an experience that is not of my own. But then is the space actually being made for the black creator to come in right. and make their thing? Because if they're if it's not, then now we're just becoming homogenous again out of fear. And obviously we're two white gals. So we're just sharing what what we've thought, I guess. Um, yeah. But it is really interesting to think about. I did the math of how much money her dad would make if he worked 40 hours a week at $500 an hour, <laughs> and it would be $960,000 a year. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's not adjusted for inflation from 1995 to yeah. now. <laughs> so he's bringing it down. <laughs> That is good. Um, Yeah. And just overall, all the activism parts of this movie are like very white girl activism, but also (laughs) like it makes sense for the character, like, and for the time period. But yeah. What do you make of like her being so kind of detached from her mother's death and that her mother died of a liposuction? I honestly thought that was really funny. I don't, I actually don't really mind it. I just think if anything, it's just a little half-baked. Like, yeah, it's I like, agree. I agree. Like, I would want it to come up, like, maybe one more time. Yeah. Uh, well, it does. 
Because he says, I haven't seen such good doing since your mother. I mean, I mean one more time on top of that. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. Like, it just comes up, like, at the beginning and at the end, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, It just doesn't have to do with, like, her emotional state. Totally. She's operating in her own universe separate from that. And I don't think we even need to talk about the stepbrother thing. There's nothing to be said on top of what's already been said. It's not technically wrong. (laughs) The age gap is the bad part, not the family thing, in my opinion. I I don't, like, think it's that bad. If it was, I wouldn't, like, look. I feel like this movie movie. wouldn't be held in the same way. So, yeah, like, it doesn't actually bother me that much, but... If, but if it was an IRL 15-year-old and an IRL college freshman, I would hate it. Much to think about with this one. I have one last thing and then yeah. we'll talk about worthwhile. I really want a subversion on the whole like girl getting out of the dick guy's car thing. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, that happens in Legally Blonde. Yeah. It happens in Clueless. And it also happens in Bridesmaids, but that's kind of, like, random. Yeah. Um, But it does happen a lot, and it's always white people, and it's always white women. I don't... Or blonde women. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why. But um, how funny would it be if there was, like, a subversion on that? That would be good. It could be... We Good, should add that to the running list of things we'll include in our next script adventure. <laughs> okay, so is Clueless worthwhile? Of course it's worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, it is, duh. It is the pink print of this entire it truly genre, in my opinion. I wrote I ha- I wrote a little thing. It's not well written, but like <laughs> Thank you for the warning. It it taught me a lot about what it means to have a unique writing voice. Yes. Um, And also like kind of what an independent film, it's not an independent film. It's actually not. It was distributed by Paramount, but it has that feeling to it because of Amy Heckerling and like where she comes from. And then it like definitely sparked an interest in filmmaking for me, Mm -hmm. um, like as something that I could actually participate in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like hitting every benchmark like it's smart it's witty it's funny but it's also heartfelt yeah and like earnest at its if core. you wanted if if you wanted to cry watching it you probably could <laughs> yeah you could find a way and extremely aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. and very quotable yeah so what else could you possibly ask for yeah and I just want to echo your point about Amy Heckerling being like the perfect role model for like an undergraduate NYU Tisch major. Like, yeah, it's like a little bit cliche. I realize that, but, but like, let us have our cliches. Come on. (laughs) Like we love them. And yeah, it's just, it felt very like, oh, she did that. And like, you know, they have like the framed clueless poster in the basement of Tisch. Like it's a vibe. It's the bomb. And and all the all the actors, everybody involved, literally every single person was like this making this film was the most fun and the most comforting, like the most comfortable set I've ever been on. Yeah. Like she creates an environment that allows people to like 
be themselves mm-hmm. and do a good job. Yeah. Which is rare. So that's goals, frankly. Yeah. We're definitely going to put on our story for you to, uh, in a, in open invitation for you to share your thoughts on this movie, your memories, things that stand out to you. We would love to hear from you. Um, and again, if you want to learn more about Brittany Murphy, we will link to that video essay in the episode description as well as to the page for my play. Cause you should at least read what it's about. Cause you'll like it. Um, and I am truly like swimming around in a, uh, like, like a diving tank of this play mentally right now. So I just had to bring it up. Um, and as always, well, we'll, we'll link to Joey's pins again yes. and we'll link to our merch again. Yes. Um, Audrey, thank you for engaging in this lovely conversation with me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer of this show is Michael D'Aloya. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingpictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at tupingpictures and would love to hear from you there. And if you love Sleepover Cinema, if it's become a staple of your weekly routine, or if it's a new show you've been listening to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a few friends, maybe even both. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Bye. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.